The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today we're going to discuss the purpose and utility of what some believe is becoming a lost art for marketers, customer segmentation. Joining us is Tim Burke, who is the co-founder and CEO of Affinio, which is a marketing strategy platform that helps marketers better connect with people using rich interest and affinity data. Using machine learning, Affinio reveals naturally forming behavioral-based segments in any consumer data set. And today, Tim and I are going to talk about how marketers' access to data is changing the utility of customer segmentation. Okay, here's my conversation with Tim Burke, co-founder and CEO of Affinio. Tim, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you on the show. Let's start off by talking a little bit about your background and Affinio. Tell us what you and your company are all about. Absolutely. So we started our company about six years ago on the back of an experiment that my co-founder and I had actually six years ago when we were building at the time a B2C mobile app. And instead of sort of looking at social data and looking relative to what people were talking about our brand, we took an interesting approach and we simply looked at who else our followers on social were following at that time and aggregated that one afternoon and quickly identified the power of sort of marketing and advertising intel that was buried inside this interest and affinity graph at the core that nobody seemed to be taking advantage of. And we thought it was such a compelling opportunity. We actually doubled down and built an entire company around it. So what Affinio does at the very core, we have a very powerful what we call graph engine, not graph as in Excel, but more so connections between data points. So we look at data in a really unique way in terms of identifying similarities and patterns based on the connections across data points. So in the purpose of marketing, oftentimes we're looking at patterns and identifying patterns across people's behaviors, whether that is what you're following, liking or engaging with on social, whether that's how people are surfing the web, whether it's transactional data at the core. But what we're trying to do is identify those key underlying behavioral patterns that are common across very, very large data sets, such that marketers basically can build compelling opportunities, campaigns, and briefs on the front end based on these signals, as opposed to having to start off by guessing, which has traditionally been a lot of the problems. So that's kind of at the core of what we're about and what we think is changing in the marketplace. 
It's an interesting philosophy on customer segmentation. I, I think that the idea behind customer segmentation, the application is changing a lot this decade with the rise of the digital revolution. Going back to marketing classes, you know, marketing 101 in college, pre-smartphone, pre-internet marketing, not a lot of data that's being analyzed, more of the sort of creative driven marketing Customer segmentation was dividing up the people that you wanted to get in touch with into very demographic and geographic segments, right? You would yes. be looking for stay-at-home moms, dads in the office, B2B buyers, something along those lines. And they were very classically defined, story-driven segments. So you understood who you're going to reach out to and try to build a marketing campaign around them. You're now taking a very data-driven and behavioral approach. What are some of the benefits of the story-driven and intuitive approach towards segmentation, the classic version? And then what are some of the benefits and differences between doing that on a behavioral basis? I think you make a perfect and compelling point, right? I mean, most of us were trained in terms of segmentation around demographics being sort of the dominant model. I think that still exists in a lot of mindsets within the frame of both agency and brands today. But at the very core, if we sort of step back and take a look at what the foundation of marketing and advertising ultimately is all about, which is changing consumer behavior. So from our perspective, we look through a lens of saying, why would it make sense to use demographic data, which has effectively been used for years as a proxy to behavior, when we've got so much data around people's behavior at the core? Why wouldn't we start by segmenting based on similarities and differences of those behaviors? And then they leverage those signals and leverage that insight, both to drive compelling campaigns, compelling content and ultimately actually measure changes in consumer behavior on the results of that marketing or advertising campaign. And what I would say, it seems novel today, given where we are and what kind of data we have available to us, it's remarkable how many people are still super dependent on what I would consider a very traditional model of demographic-based focus, which to us at Affinio is, is a representation of a proxy to behavior, but more compelling to us is analyzing at the core of the behavior and the complexity and ability to do such at massive scales now is also the reason why this new opportunity is sort of unlocking and unleashing in the marketplace is that demographic targeting and slicing and dicing and segmenting was a very easy and trivial way in which we could do so with the complexity of ML and AI that we have at our fingertips today. But now that we have that capability, and there's so many different streams and different means with which to analyze this type of data, a more compelling and forward-facing model of analyzing and segmenting based on behavior, we think is just fundamentally the best approach and should be and will become the dominant means with which customer segmentation is done from now on. I agree with you, and I'm going to play devil's advocate anyway. I do think that there's some time and place and value for having demographic segments because they are easy to grasp. I can get my head around 25 to 35-year-old males that went to college and were in a fraternity, and I know what the behaviors are for that segment, and I can come up with a marketing plan to approach them, as opposed to behavioral, someone who has liked a specific social following or has taken an action on a given website doesn't always tell me enough about who the person is for me to really think holistically about how to market to that larger group of people. 
I also think that there's a level of complexity where you can group together multiple segments broadly and try to market to them. If I'm looking for somebody who is a 25 to 35 year old man who graduated from college and was in a fraternity, I understand who that person is. And I could put together a pretty compelling marketing plan for how I can reach them and what I want to say to them. I understand some of the characteristics and traits as opposed to with your behavioral targeting. If I know someone follows Joe Rogan on Twitter, Instagram, or listens to his podcast, it's not very clear to me who that person is and how I should market to them other than their association with this one social following. How do you think about understanding who the person is when you're using your behavioral data as opposed to your demographic data? First and foremost, Ben, I would say that we don't negate the value of demographics. Our argument more so is that at a foundation, if you start by segmenting based on sort of behavioral patterns of individuals, you absolutely will identify certain segments within that population that over-index based on a demographic characteristic, right? You may very well analyze, find a behavior and identify that that behavior is of dominantly males 25 to 35 who you know graduated from university, as you alluded to. So the affinity between the demographic and behavioral patterns absolutely can come to light and be true. I would argue, though, as a counter argument to that is that within the framework of how to message and how to communicate with individuals, most of our customers and the people that we work with and the people that are firm believers in sort of this new approach, for us, they would actually argue the opposite is that based on pure demographic and what I would deem sort of restricted or limited demographic data, they are challenged by creating content and campaigns that will resonate and feel personalized, right? Whereas through the lens of behavioral-based data and clustering that we do, and for what it's worth, much, much more granular and detailed than sort of single like or single follower. I mean, it's thousands to millions of dimensions deep in terms of how structured, how granular we can make these personas. I think what they see is that that level of granularity provides them an absolutely net new lens to actually know who these people are, and as a result of which, create better campaigns and content that'll resonate. So I would say that you're not wrong in saying that demographics absolutely has its place. I would completely agree. I would just say that instead of necessarily starting with demographics, starting with a behavioral clustering or segmentation version for us seems compelling. Identifying then or overlaying on top of that what demographic data you have can oftentimes lead to means with which to identify groups that basically further enrich that story or that persona. I would also say that demographics in the traditional sense has been heavily utilized in the marketing domain, primarily to drive reach and scale, right? So there's been everything from direct mail and now obviously compelling opportunities digitally and online to reach those individuals. I think the reliance on that for the purpose of scale, what we're seeing in market is a shift to hyper-personalized content recognizing that one campaign does not fit all. So many of the organizations, agencies, and brands that we're working with are starting to leverage that means with which to sub-segment and find these unique personas within even a given audience base and starting to customize content or slant their content in a personalized way against each of those segments. So I would say that the challenge or what I would say is the biggest shift in market is the dominance of one campaign with massive reach into what you would consider ideal cases. Everybody gets their own piece of content. There is this nice midstream where we can use segmentation at large scale to still achieve significant scale and reach, but to actually make campaigns and content highly personalized. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to oversimplify this, but using the metaphor of reaching the recovering frat boy 
that's 25 to 35 and out of college as the demographic example and the behavioral targeting of somebody who follows the Joe Rogan podcast. The context is if I'm creating content, one message is, hey, ex-frat boy, I know that you were in a fraternity and here's something we think you might like, as opposed to, hey, Tim, I think that if you're a follower of the Joe Rogan podcast, you might like this content. You actually have more actionable information about a recent behavior as opposed to kind of stereotyping against a demographic. So you can be more contextually relevant using your behavioral data. Yeah, I totally agree. And that type of personalization, I think, is what most marketers are looking for. I think the brands are starting to recognize that, again, the, the reasons why people buy a given brand isn't a single reason. Right. And for them to understand what the what those differences are or the differences in terms of their affinity to that brand are oftentimes beyond the behavioral pattern of just that consumer with their brand. Right. What we hear is stories about understanding their consumer of like, what do they do on the weekends? Right. What else are they doing? What TV shows are they watching? Where are they shopping? How are they entertaining themselves? What kind of content are they consuming? All those pieces start to come together in really rich personas in a fully aggregated format. And I mean, let's be honest, Ben, I think every one of us globally would like to think that we're highly individualized and our behaviors are unique to ourselves. But the reality is they're just not. And there's a lot of signals that when you combine them together, you can start finding large scale groups of individuals who behave in similar fashions, who consume content that is similar in nature and whose response to an ad campaign will be heightened if you can start to personalize content around those behaviors and interests at the core. So you're telling me I'm not a unique snowflake. <laughs> I'm sorry, even though your mom said so, I'm breaking this to you on the show. I'd like to think that she was right and I am special, but I understand <laughs> that I may fit into a segment with more than one other person. That's right. I think the real question for me in terms of actionalizing this approach is how much data do you need to create the segments? And if you're going to create these digital or data-driven segments, are you going to end up with a thousand of them? Does life just get so complex that it's hard to be actionable? Talk to me about what goes into creating a data-driven behavioral segment. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think as a starting point, I'd love to just sort of take a step back and reflect on changes in the marketplace, right? I mean, given sort of a lot of the privacy concerns, GDPR changes in how data is being collected, We've got a really interesting dynamic evolving in the marketplace. We are deep in the throes of uh, digital transformation and the collection of massive amounts of data or that data being available. At the same time, sort of have obviously challenges around managing privacy and respecting privacy and the challenges that marketers face within the scope of GDPR. So within that realm, I think marketers have gone from a position where oftentimes I would say they've relied on third parties to do much of the segmentation and create audience segments for them to action on, right? So oftentimes, you and I both know that marketers are, you know, it's syndicated segments within their DSPs. It's within, you know, the ad platforms of the leading digital providers where they have pre-canned segments of your frat boys that are available for purchase, right? Yeah. You go onto Facebook, you create your ad, and you target the frat boys segment. Yeah, exactly. The frat boys. And so I think what's interesting is what we're seeing is that the marketers' reliance on other people creating segments for them to action on is suddenly becoming more and more challenging. Third-party data providers are being removed from different ad platforms. You get the complexity of GDPR. 
what we're seeing and what I think that's lending itself to is an urgency on behalf of many of the brands and enterprises directly in A, the collection of and ownership of their own data that they have rights to own and need to own. And many of whom have obviously initiated the storage of massive data lakes around that type of data. But what we're seeing is interesting in market is that suddenly they're now challenged with actually doing something and making it actionable. And so for us, that's what we see as a huge opportunity, emerging opportunity in the framework, of what's often referred to as augmented analytics, where you're enabling end users who don't necessarily have deep math backgrounds or coding backgrounds to start to analyze their own data at the core, surface the insights they need and making them actionable. And so Within that framework, we've worked with organizations where it's been thousands of records all the way up to organizations where we're working with hundreds of millions of records with tens of thousands of attributes associated with each of them. So the scale runs the full gamut. For us, the broader the data pool that you're analyzing, the richer the output for obvious reasons. But at the very basic framework, it's amazing what compelling signals can get surfaced out of even smaller scale data sets, which can be something as simple as a thousand survey respondents across 10 to 50 different questions, unlocking that and unlocking patterns in those surveys is more challenging than it actually sounds at times. So being able to do that, it becomes really, really compelling. And those insights then drive additional either scoping analysis, maybe even deeper research into what they surface. So for us, it comes down to not necessarily the scale, but to your point, does this lead to a thousand personas that become unmanageable? I would say it doesn't. And, and the reason that it doesn't for the most part is that most people are approaching this as being sort of dynamic and evergreen in its very nature. Most of them are not analyzing their entire data lake in one swath. Many of them take cuts and are using it almost in a, what I would consider dynamic segmentation based on their own thesis, right? So you have people exploring ideas like of the people who purchased those items, you know, this particular item last month, what else have they purchased in the last six months? And is there some characteristic insight we can gather from that as opposed to let's segment our 100 million users one time into a thousand different categories that are all unactionable. So Machine learning and AI are changing the nature in which people can validate or test their hypothesis against their data. And that in itself, I think, is changing the utility around customer segmentation and how it can actually be used by the marketer. That's interesting. I guess it makes sense that a enterprise scale brand who has lots of data wants to use the behavioral segmentation. And the first thing my mind goes to is when I worked at eBay, understand people that have conducted a search for a given segment is an easy way to break down segmentation or look for multiple products or got to the cart or whatever it is. Tons of data. I'm sure there are plenty of common themes. When you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, when you are developing a brand, when you're launching a website, how much data do you need and when should you start thinking about trying to create behavioral segments as opposed to starting off doing your research and creating your demographic segments? When can you get started? So for us, there's obviously the utility against a number of third-party data sources. I mean, for us, social is and continues to be a strong and compelling and fruitful place to start research for many of these organizations. I think one of the compelling things for us in terms of just the way that we approach the segmentation model, which is, I think, key and important for your listeners to understand, is, is by using sort of AI and ML, what we're doing is actually creating a means with which people can discover insights, right? So 
relative to just what you're referencing with respect to your eBay consideration, right? Many of the segments are manually created and continue to be. Those people who abandoned the card last step, what is the key signal that's common across all of them so that we can make that better decisions for the customer flow? What's more challenging and which is what I think AI and machine learning are basically taking the market and providing in marketplace is discovering what are the unknowns, the things that are insightful because it's surfaced by the machine as opposed to a human having to guess at what that segment should be or how to start that segmentation. So from that perspective, I think that changes the way that customer segmentation can be done. It also, to your point, in emerging brands, For us, obviously, any source of sort of third-party data that's accessible becomes a really compelling means with which to get started. But beyond that, I would say the emergence and strength of D2C, direct-to-consumer brands that we're seeing in market, who are absolutely massively disruptive and remarkably fast growth patterns, would indicate to you that early collection of customer data can help drive really compelling campaigns and strategy. And I would say... It's never too early to begin that collection, nor is it too early to start analyzing or starting to look for emerging trends. I mean, even within the framework of much of the work that we do on social with many of our current customers, when oftentimes it's either a new movie that's released, a new brand that's being initiated, may not have a whole lot of social momentum. It's still intriguing to us what kind of early signals you can read in sort of the tea leaves, even off those smaller audiences that become frameworks for their campaigning strategy within days, weeks, months, very, very early on. But those sources for compelling insights that basically drive that campaign and behavior by the marketer at very early stages for competitive reasons. It's interesting to me that you can use third-party data to combine with your first-party data to fill the gaps and flush out the behavioral segmentation. Essentially what you're doing, and I'm thinking in terms of for the MarTech podcast, we have IP addresses and some data for the people that are listening to the podcast. There's some people that are subscribing to our newsletter. So we have a couple of email addresses and we have a signal on LinkedIn, the people that I connect with on LinkedIn to have an understanding of who is listening to the show. But we don't have the ability to combine all of those data sources together to get a full picture and do our segmentation. We're just making some assumptions that, you know, a certain percentage of our listening audience is marketing executives, operational directors, agencies, and consultants. And that's how I think of my segmentation. When you're trying to aggregate all these sort of disparate sources of data, how difficult is it to actually take those various data sources, pipe them into the machine, and come out with something that's tangible? Yeah, and I think that's the typical challenge of many of the marketers. And certainly, like you said, a lot of it comes down to scale or even the scale of the signals that you can gather above and beyond sort of the core representation IP address or any any other sort of key indicator for your customer base. What we're seeing in market right now is things like the growth and expansion of onboarders are starting to address that, right? You know, identity graphs, identity spines, where people are leveraging those to, in compliant formats, further enrich their first-party data to your point with additional third-party data sources so that those attributes across both interests and behaviors can be both appended to a lot of those key records can be analyzed at the core and clustered and segmented to identify which of those attributes 
sort of our over-indexing um, segment by segment, and then being able to leverage those for the purpose of better targeting, better content creation, ultimately even better content for those individual segments. So it is and continues to be a challenge. I would say that most of that's being addressed in market with the growth and expansion and acceleration of many of these onboarders and these identity graphs at the core to address that exact problem, right? Because like I said, the dependence, I would say, is increasing on the value of your first-party data and what you can and what you should be doing with it is what we're seeing sort of a massive trend in the marketplace right now. Here's what I'm hearing from you is that you know, the enterprise scale businesses are able to take their data and create behavioral segments that are much more actionable than their demographic segments because they're using their data to their advantage and coming up with common themes that help them make their content and make personalization easier. When you're at the opposite end of the spectrum and you're launching a brand and you don't have a lot of data, you can fill in the gaps with some of the data that you're missing by doing some enrichment, by using third-party data to create your behavioral segments. But uh, fundamentally, you just don't really have that much behavioral information if you're starting off the beginning. And so depending on where you are at developing your brand, there still is some utility for using demographics and using, honestly, some intuition to figure out who you're going to target and your segments. And you're validating that with data. And as you collect more data, and as you use third-party data in conjunction with what you're able to collect yourself, your first-party data, then you can really get into these behavioral segments, which provide the value that the enterprise brands are able to tap into. Tim, really interesting stuff. I think that the use of segmentation and the way that marketers are thinking about it is changing rapidly. I appreciate you telling us a little bit about your company's perspective. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Ben. Okay. And that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Tim Burke, the co-founder and CEO of Affinio for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Tim and I are going to talk about how to turn data-driven customer segments into actual customers. And if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Tim, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can send him a tweet. His handle is T1MBurke, T, the number one, M-B-U-R-K-E, or you can visit his company's website, which is affinio.com, A-F-F-I-N-I-O.com. Just one link I want to tell you about in our show notes. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We have summaries of all our episodes. We've got contact information for our guests. You can sign up for our once a week newsletter, which gives you a recap of all of our content. And you can also send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Tim Tim Burke from Affinio. We're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production.
Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.